Well, good morning. I love that song. That song, the lyrics talk about, it's a prayer, asking for God to fill our cup up with love, with joy, with peace. And at the end of the day, I think that's what we crave, isn't it? Love, joy, peace. If we've got those, those three things in, in excess and we're overflowing, then, then we can handle whatever. And so I just, I love that. That's a, that's a beautiful song. It's a beautiful prayer. Wherever you're at in life, whether you're full of those things or you're requiring those things, it's a good prayer to run to our Savior and ask him to fill up our cup. Give us what we need to live, to thrive, to enjoy this life and live the abundant life that he promised us. And we can know that when we, when we sing that and when we, when we pray that, we can know that God is going to fill our cup up and that he's able to do that because he is holy, because he is holy. holy holiness is, is actually a really difficult word to describe. It's an attribute of God that, that kind of contains all of the other attributes that we've been talking about this week. And so as I sat down to, to look at this message and to think kind of big picture and kind of wrap up the, the none greater series for us, we've been magnifying our God most high, looking at who God is and why, why we should want to worship him and why should we should want to draw close and have a relationship with him. And so as I sat down to, to think about this, you'll not be surprised that uh, I happened upon this website that I've been recommending to you now. I think this is the third or fourth week that I brought it up because if you type it in a little search bar or whatever, there's a question that, that, that someone has written into this website and said, what does it mean that God is holy? What does God's holiness mean? And there's a whole article that's addressed there and it's really, really good. So I commend it to you again as a, as a great resource, but I only want to hone in on kind of one sentence from that whole article. And the sentence is this, it just grabbed my heart when I read it. The sentence is this. The author writes in that, that article, what does it mean that God is holy? He says, to the lost, the holiness of God is a dreadful matter. But to the redeemed, the holiness of God is our greatest good. Or to put it in our lingo here, if you're familiar with our, our vision, we want to help the lost get found and the found live free. I would say that to the, to the lost, those people that don't know Jesus Christ personally and don't have the privilege of, of worshiping him together in a corporate family of God, the lost, the holiness of God, it's a dreadful thing. It's a scary thing. It's a thing they, they run from. But to the found, to the person that's discovered life in Jesus with his people and with God purposely, to the found, to those living free, it is our greatest good. It's our greatest good. And so I just want to spend the morning kind of unpacking this together. What does it mean that, that for the lost, that, that God's holiness is a dreadful thing? Why would God's holiness be a scary or fearful or dreadful thing? What exactly does that mean? What does it mean that God is holy? Now the word, this word holiness is used throughout the Bible in a ton of different ways, which makes it hard to land on a definition. It's used in regards to God as his, his person when he shows up. It's like the Lord of heaven armies, he's holy, right? It's used of God's people sometimes when God shows up and he's among his people, the people are said to be holy. It's talked about when, when we talk about different utensils and lampstands and different stuff that's used in the temple. So if it's used in the worship of this holy God, those things are said to be holy. It's, it's a word that has a, a, a rich depth of meaning. And so it's hard to, to nail down a, an exact definition, but I'm going to try. I'm going to give you a definition this morning. So here's what I think holiness is. 
Here's what I think holiness is. I think we could say that holiness is the perfect moral purity of God that makes him entirely different or wholly different and better than anything and everything we know. So holiness, it means that God is perfect in every way, morally speaking. He, he is good. He, he's the definition of good. And he's, he's different. He's entirely different. He's a category unto himself. There's no creature or being like him. He's better than anything and everything that we know. This is, this is different than what a lot, of, a lot of different people in our culture think about God, Right? For us, for the Christian, the God of the Bible is distinct from his creation. He's not a part of creation. Not everything, the rocks and, and the ocean and all that, not, not, everything is not God. God is separate from his creation. There's another line of thinking that, that thinks about, you know, the universe is God. You might hear people say, well, the universe was scheming or the universe was, was it was because of the universe, the stuff aligned, right? It's like, no, no, God is not a, an impersonal force. He's not just this, this universe and this kind of amorphous thing like Star Wars that you can't know. God is a person. He is distinct from his creation. He is a personal being. He is not a part of the universe. He stands over and above the universe as king and lord. He's in charge. God is different also in essence. There's nothing like him. No one and nothing is like him. He's different in power. He is all-powerful. He contains all the power that is. It resides within him. He is righteous, 100%. He's different in, in wisdom, right? Right? He is altogether different. He is set apart unto himself as a whole other category of being. No one and nothing is like the God of the Bible. God is all-knowing. He knows everything that there is to know. He's all-seeing. He's all-powerful. He's the judge, the jury, and the executioner. And he's all three of those things in perfection. He never makes a mistake. He is never wrong. He is sinless perfection. As we've been discussing this summer, there truly is none greater than our God Most High. There's no one greater than him. His holiness is kind of, it's the sum of all of his perfect character traits that we've looked at this summer. Everything that we've discussed. He is trustworthy. He is good all of the time, no matter what you're experiencing in life, no matter what, what circumstance you're, you're undergoing, God is good. In every single situation in our life, God is good. He remains good always. God is also love. He's love. He is patient. He is all-sufficient, meaning that he is all we need. He is all that our hearts desire. He's everything that we were created for. He is an end in and of himself. Everything that we want out of this life, everything, we can find it in God in relationship with him. He is all sufficient. He never changes, never. He is the same yesterday, today, and always, forever. This holy God is generous and gracious as we looked at this week. He is sovereign. He is fully in control. There's not a thing that happens on this world that does not pass through his hands. He is just, perfectly just. As we looked at last week, he is the healer. He's the great physician. All of these attributes and more 
combine together to make God holy. Holy, other, distinct, different, perfect moral purity set apart in a category unto himself, holy. Church, when we catch a glimpse of God as he is, our hearts cannot help but exclaim as the psalmist does in Psalm 8 verse 1, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. This is why whenever God shows up in in his unshrouded splendor before people in the Bible, right? If you read Isaiah 6 or Ezekiel 1 or, or Daniel 8 or Revelation 1, when God shows up before the prophet Isaiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and the apostle John, when he shows up and the veil is, is sort of peeled back and one of, one of his creatures gets to gaze upon him, because he is holy and so radiant in splendor and majesty, their first reaction is to fall on their face. It's to fall on their face. They cannot, they cannot stand to look upon a being that is so perfect and so radiant his brightness and his purity of presence, his holiness, it's overwhelming. It is overwhelming to us impure, flawed, and sin-tainted creatures. And dread consumes our hearts when we're confronted with him. Consumes our hearts. There's a fear that creeps in. When we see God as he is, right? If you've read the Chronicles of Narnia, God is depicted as a lion, and when the, the children first learn of, of God being depicted as a lion, they're, they're fearful because lions are scary. They will eat you. They will tear your face off, right? They're scary. And so Lucy, the littlest one, is like, oh no, Aslan, God, he's a lion? Is he safe? And the beaver says, the beaver says of course he's not safe, but he's good. He's good. And so there's an aspect to God's holiness that is a fearful, dreadful thing if we stop there. Rome, or, uh, Hebrews clues us into this. The book of Hebrews in, in chapter 12, verses 25 through 29, the, the author gives us a little glimpse at the fear or dread that God's holiness can cr- create in us who are impure beings. He says this, starting in verse five, he says, be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. For if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger we will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven through his son, Jesus Christ. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth. But now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. This means that all creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unsakeable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. Why? For our God is a devouring or a consuming fire. Here we're clued in. We get a glimpse of what it means that God is holy. We're told that God's holiness is like a consuming or devouring fire. Now, not many of us have ever probably been in a steel plant. I know uh, John and Calvin work there, and so they they might know a little bit more than than what we do when we're talking about this, but we know the concept, right? If you want to purify steel, or if you want to purify gold or silver, you have to get a really, really stinking hot furnace, put that stuff in a crucible, and then set it in there. And it it is hot. It's so hot. This is what God's holiness is like. 
In the same way that gold is purified through that blazing furnace, God is a consuming fire and he desires to purify his people, right? In the same way that we put gold into a fire so that all the impure things are burned up and what's remained is the, or what's, what's left is the most purest form of, of that, that metal, the essence of what it was always meant to be in perfect 100% purity. God says, my holiness is like this. When you come before me, my heart is to purify you from all impurities. In fact, my, my character will not allow for me to be in the presence of unpure things. Not because I'm a vengeful or spiteful being, but because I'm like a fire. It's a part of who I am. The heat that comes off of me, it's just going, this is what's going to happen. It's a, it's a law like in the physical of the universe. Impurities will be consumed. They'll be burnt up. They'll be burned away. And this is why we're beginning to see and understand that, that author from uh, Got Questions, why he says to the lost, to the lost, God's holiness is a dreadful thing. We're left with the question, if God is like this, this burning furnace, a consuming fire, we're left with the question, who can stand before the power and the splendor of such a magnificent and powerful God? So it's an alarming thing. It's a fearful thing. And honestly, I could, I could say more about God's holiness and, and how, how his holiness creates a fear and a dread that it, that it produces in us who are weak and frail and sin-tainted people. But God is not after our fear. He's not. God is after our love, right? It's why in, in every time when God shows up, with Isaiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and the Apostle John, they fall on their faces in fear because they feel like they're going to be consumed because our God is a consuming fire. And every single time, do you know the first words out of God's mouth or the angel's mouth? Do you know what it is? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. See, God is not after our fear. He is after our love. To, to, the, to the lost, those who have never chosen to get to know the God of the Bible. They fear him because his, 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 his holiness is a fearful thing, but that's what, not, not what God is after. That's not what God is after. God is after our love. If you think about the great leaders of history, there have been some really great leaders. There's been, there's been some also really bad leaders. There's been a lot of people that were really good at, at getting people to fall in line. But the difference between a great leader and a bad leader is, is how they rule. The bad leaders, they can do a lot, right? They can do a lot, and they do it through, through threats of fear and violence, through crushing people. They can do a lot, but their empires never last. Why? Because fear is not, a, is not something that produces loyal followers. You can get people to fall in line, but as soon as you remove the threat or the fear, then, then people are going to go their own way. So God, God's not after our fear. He doesn't want slaves. He wants children who love him. And because they love them, they listen, they obey, they trust. That is what God is after. That is what God is after. And so we could talk more about the fear that we should have of God, but I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about the love that we should have for who God is. His holiness can be fear-inducing, but it can also inspire a lot of love in our hearts. Right? He is all-powerful. He does want to burn away our impurities, but he wants to do so in a way that is compassionate and merciful. Listen to Psalm 103. 
This is who our God is. He's not a, a God who, who rules by threats of violence and fear. He's a God who rules with tenderness and compassion. It says, the Lord is compassionate and merciful. He's slow to anger and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us, nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us all for he does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve, for his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him, for he knows how weak we are. He remembers that we are only dust. While fear is a natural response to God's holiness, again, as we saw in those prophets, God's not after our fear. His heart is not to consume us, but rather to purify us with his presence. So he calls us to put away our fear and to be drawn in by love. He gives us grace and he acts tenderly as a father would to his children. And this is why to the lost, the holiness of God is a dreadful thing, but to the found, those who, who know God as Father, it is our greatest good. If we would allow ourselves to enter God's presence and not deny the one who calls to us from heaven, as Hebrews says, we would discover all that is good, pleasing, and perfect. We would discover all that our hearts were created for. It is God's holiness, his perfection, his power. It's God's holiness that makes him the only being you can trust with reckless abandonment. You can throw yourself upon his mercy and know that he is gonna protect you and guard you and provide for you. It is God's holiness that enables us to experience both joy. Joy is different than peace. Joy is a fulfillment in our heart that, that never goes away. We're always full. Our cup is always full. That's joy. Peace is, peace is, is a sense that we know everything's gonna be okay. That order, if it's not currently in place in our life, mentally, physically, emotionally, that if we're in God's hands, it is going to be restored. It might not be in our time frame, but it's going to be in his time frame. It's going gonna, it's gonna to happen eventually. So joy is about a sense of, of fulfillment in God, and peace is a sense that everything is going to be okay, that God has got this. Now, I realize that all of this might sound a little academic, and I want you to know that, that God is not a theory. He's not a theory. He's a person to know and be in relationship with. He's a person who wants to speak to you regularly through his word and through his spirit. And his holiness makes him both powerful enough to deal with our problems and the injustices that we experience and also compassionate enough to care to want to listen and act on our behalf for our good when we cry out to him. God's holiness makes him the good and beautiful God that, that he is. And it's my prayer that as we walk through what we're going to walk through in a minute, that you will want to know him. That you won't fear him, but you actually be drawn in to want to know him. And you want to have a relationship with him. And so for the rest of our time this morning, I simply want to look with you at a prayer. It's a prayer that a, a lady in the Bible, offered to the Lord who was struggling with infertility. Her name is Hannah. Her name is Hannah. We're told in 1 Samuel 1, 
we're told about Hannah's context, okay? So we're clued in on, on the suffering that she's experienced. She's had a hard life. Hannah is the wife of a man named Elkanah. She's not just one wife with Elkanah. Elkanah actually has two wives, okay? The other one's name escapes me at the moment, but um, Hannah is barren. She cannot have children, and the other wife has two sons. And so this other wife is constantly just berating and abusing Hannah verbally, right? And this is why God says it's good for one man and one woman to be married. Fellas, right? One, one woman, that's enough for us. God says we don't, we don't need more than one. You just need, you just need one. It's not good. It's, it's out of my good design to have more than one wife. Well, Alkana, apparently he didn't think that God's good design, he didn't want to follow God's good design. So he has two, two wives and strife follows, right? Because, because one is barren and the other one isn't and, and they're at each other and it's just not a helpful thing. And so this is why God said, just listen. Listen to my good design. It will go better for you if you just listen to how, how I've set things up. And so Hannah is, is constantly just depressed and really struggling. She wants a child. She wants to be able to rejoice in her marriage. At one point, Elkanah says, you have me. Isn't that enough? It's like, well, dude, you, you brought another lady into the relationship, and now there's all this strife and emotional turmoil. Like, she can't rejoice in the marriage because you, you've, you've not followed the Lord, and now there's just all this extra bad stuff going on. It's really, it's really a hard situation. And so as she's, she's trying to sort all of this out, we're told that every year they go into the temple to worship the Lord, and they offer the sacrifices, and you, and you just get the sense that this happens over and over and over again. They go in and they offer the sacrifices and Hannah is again sad and depressed and, and frustrated and down because she's not able to have a, a child and there's just all of this stress in this relationship. And so what does she do? Now, if Hannah were lost, if she did not know God and did not have a relationship with her or with, with God, if, if she didn't know the Lord of heaven's armies, what could she do with this distress, with all of this strife, with the hardship? We've already, we've already found her husband's no help, right? He's not following the Lord in a bunch of ways. He's just bringing more problems. And her husband's no help. She can't turn to him. He's part of the problem. Medicine apparently is no help. She's tried all the things, still no conception. Psychology, self-help, all of it, none of it's helping. If she's lost, where does she turn to with her distress, with her struggles? If she does not know this holy God of the Bible, where is she, where, where she going to turn? Nowhere. She's lost. She's just supposed to suck it up and suck it up, buttercup, try and figure it out, right? That, that's the best she's got. But friends, she's not lost. She knows God. She knows God and she knows that he listens to those who cry out to him. She also knows that he is a healer. He has the power to heal. He is just. He is holy. He sees everything that's going on. He sees her affliction. And so, moved by love at God's holiness and awe at God's holiness, she's drawn in rather than fear. This isn't a God to fear. This is a God to love. And so, in love, she moves towards this God and she pours out her heart to him. She pours out her heart. And friends, we're told that God hears her. The God who heals opens her womb and grants her desire, a son. 
And because she recognizes her son was a gift from God, she says, I will give him back to you, Lord. And that's exactly what she does. We're told that when Samuel is weaned, she brings him back to the temple and he is raised in the temple under Eli, the priest and the judge at the time. And it's, it's several miles walk away from, from where Hannah lives. So she, she, she basically gives him to the church to be raised. She gives him over. And then Samuel goes on to be one of Israel's greatest prophets and Israel's great, greatest leaders. And after all this transpires, Hannah sings a song. It's a prayer to the Lord that gives us some insight into her relationship with this holy God. She knows this God personally. She also knows of the dread of his holiness. She knows of the dread and the fear that it can produce in the hearts of the wicked and the lost. But she also knows the love, joy, and peace that is found by belonging, by being found by this holy God. I want you to read it with me in 1 Samuel 2. 1 Samuel 2, verse 1. It says, After all of this happened, then Hannah prayed, My heart rejoices in the Lord. The Lord has made me strong. Now I have an answer for my enemies. I rejoice because you rescued me. No one is holy like you, Lord. There is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Now I realize that some of you might be thinking, easy for you to say, Hannah, the Lord granted your request. You were barren, you prayed for a son, and bam, God opened your womb. He gave you a son. Easy for you to say, she prayed, to, she prayed to the God who heals, and he healed. Easy for you to say, Hannah, there is no rock like our God. But what about me? What about me? What about my situation? I've prayed, and God hasn't healed. Friend, I hear you. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard when God chooses not to act in our time frame or in our ways. It is hard to trust in God's holiness, in his perfection. We're left questioning, has God heard me? If he has, why hasn't he acted? Church, while it's true that our holy God is a God who heals, it's true that, that God's desire is to heal Always, it's true that God's desire is to restore order to our life. That's what we learned last week. That's what holiness is, or healing is. It's to restore order to our lives. Physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, it is always God's will to heal. Always. But the timing, the timing and the how of God's healing, that is up to him. And sometimes he says, not yet. Later, even though it's hard, we should continue to trust. God will eventually heal all of those of us who have expressed faith in him. All of those who have come by love into relationship with him. We can trust that he will heal. The question is, will it be now or will it be later? Will order be restored physically, emotionally, mentally in this life? or in the next? Will God heal me in the way that I'm asking? Or will he do something better? That might not be what I'm asking for, but it's gonna be better in the end. 
And I can trust that because I know God is holy, that he is perfect in every single way. Friends, it's difficult when the holy God works in ways that are outside of our understanding and our time frame. But the fact is that he is holy. And because he's holy, you can trust him with whatever situation you're going through. He is working. He will bring healing because he is our rock and our redeemer, as Hannah prays. That's exactly what Hannah says. And I want you to notice, Hannah's prayer She's not rejoicing in the fact that she's received a son. Her son is never mentioned. What is she rejoicing in? She is rejoicing that God has made her strong. That he proved to be her source of strength. And that he was her rock in this difficult situation. And again, I I want you to think about this. Imagine being barren for years and finally receiving a son and then having, having to give him up for adoption. That's what Hannah does. If Hannah is not trusting in God and viewing God as her reward and her strength and her portion in life, if she chooses rather to worship her son and have her son be the idol, then she's never able to follow through on her promise and give her son to the church. Right? She understands that God is her reward, not what he can do for us. It's him. It's a relationship with him. She has a relationship with him. She understands his holiness. God was and is Hannah's reward, not her son. It was in God that she found joy and was able to rejoice, not the change of her circumstance. It was through journeying with this holy God through the ups and downs of life that she was sustained and that she was strengthened. And because she was redeemed, because she was found, because she had a relationship with this holy God and she loved him, she knew his holiness not as something to be feared, but as something that was her greatest good. To the lost, God's holiness is a dreadful thing, but to the found, his holiness is our greatest good. She knew this to be true. Let's keep reading. To the lost, Hannah says in verse 3, Stop acting haughty. Stop acting so proud and haughty. Don't speak with such arrogance, for the Lord is a God who knows what you have done. He will judge your actions. The bow of the mighty is not broken, or is now broken, and those who stumble are now strong. Those who were well fed are now starving, and those who are starving are now full. The childless woman now has seven children, and the woman with many children wastes away. The Lord gives both death and life. He brings some down to the grave, but raises others up. The Lord makes some poor and others rich. He brings some down and lifts others up. He lifts the poor from the dust and the needy from the garbage dump. He sets them among princes, placing them in seats of honor. For all the earth is the Lord's, and he has set the world in order. He will protect his faithful ones, But the wicked will disappear in darkness. No one will succeed by strength alone. Those who fight against the Lord will be shattered. He thunders against them from heaven. The Lord judges throughout the earth. He gives power to his king. He increases the strength of his anointed one. I hope you can see it here in our scripture. To the lost, the holiness of God is a dreadful thing. 
Those who fight against the Lord, we're told, they will be shattered. He thunders against them from heaven. He judges throughout the earth, Hannah says. But we're also told that he gives power to his king. He increases the, the strength of his anointed one. We're told that all of the earth is the Lord's and he sets it in order. He is sovereign. He is holy, perfect in every way, entirely different and better than anyone and everything that we have ever known. We learn here that if we choose to know him as he is, to come to him and enter into his presence, he will be our rock and he will be our redeemer. You will have a place to turn when everything else fails around you. You will have a source of joy and peace, a a peace, a place where your heart can be replenished and refilled and where you can gain a sense that everything is going to be okay. My bank account's not okay, but I worship the God who, who has the, the whole earth in his hands. Everything's gonna be okay. I can have a sense of peace because I know the God who is sovereign over all. He is in charge. He is compassionate. He is slow to get anger. He is holy. He gives power to his anointed king. Who is that king, church? King Jesus. He has set his face upon Christ in judgment so that when we come into Christ, we can receive mercy and compassion instead. And we can come to him knowing that we are not going to be judged. We're not going to be condemned. We're going to become come covered by the blood, come into this relationship of love, of joy, of peace where we know that we'll be treated not, not from an angry judge or an evil dictator that wants a slave, but we'll be treated as a child, a son or a daughter, tenderly by a loving father. Folks, if you would turn to Christ in faith, you can know this kind of relationship with a holy God. You can know love rather than fear and sing with Hannah. My heart rejoices in the Lord. Oh, how sweet it is to trust in Jesus. My heart rejoices in the Lord. The Lord has made me strong. Now I have an answer for my enemies. Now I have an answer for my worries in this life. I will rejoice because you rescued me. Or if you haven't yet, I know you will. No one is holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Do you have a rock, church, that you're building your life upon? I'm reminded of that old child, the old child song that I heard growing up or sang when I was a little kid in church. The foolish man built his life on the sand. The wise man built his life on the rock. We sing often here a song that I love, that there is honey in that rock. Joy and peace and love found in that rock. Don't be foolish, church. Don't be foolish. Everything the world has to offer, psychology, self-help, a better career, more money, more children, less children. (laughs) Just kidding. I love my kids, right? It's all sinking sand. Jesus is the rock. He's the rock and he is our redeemer. Come to him. Come to him often. Pour out your heart to him. He's holy. He wants to be your loving father. 
He wants to meet with you personally every single day through his people, through his word, and through his spirit. Enter into that relationship and never stop talking to him. Just like Hannah. We get one glimpse of a prayer that she, she wrote down, apparently. I'm convinced that this is one of thousands, one of thousands of conversations that she had. You can know the God that Hannah knew just as well as she did. And you can experience the joy and peace and love that she had too. Come to your father. Live in relationship with the king. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you have made it so simple. You've said, I I, I want to know you. And I want you to be known by me. Father, I, I know I don't have it all figured out. I know, I know none of us have it all figured out. I know that life is hard. I know that, that things are disordered in so many ways in each and every one of our lives. I thank you that you don't ask us to get our lives in order before you invite us to come and sit on your lap like a little child would. In the same way, I don't ask my kids to get all their stuff in order before I love them. You don't ask that of us either. You just invite us to come to know you and to be known by you. You don't even ask us to have all of our theological ducks in a row, to know everything that there is to know and to to make sure that, that we believe all of the right stuff. You ask us to believe that Jesus was who he said he was and that through him we can have a relationship with the King of Heaven. I pray, Father, that your holiness and your perfection would not be something that fills our hearts with dread, that we would not respond to you out of a a threat of hell or violence or anything else. I pray that, that we would be able to look upon the cross and look upon Jesus and see your love poured out in a very tangible way. And that love, that compassion, that part of your holiness would draw us in, would draw us ever deeper into relationship with you. If we haven't begun that relationship, I pray that today would be that day where we would come and we'd say, hey, Lord, I don't know how to do this, but I'm ready. I want to live with you rather than without you. Father, when, when we do that, give us joy, give us peace. Fill up our cup, Lord. Run it over. In your name we pray, amen.